Hello, and welcome one and all to The Reset Show, episode number 21. We're 21, who'd have thought it? The future of work. Today's special guest is the founder of WOW, which is World of Work at Henley Business School, where she leads on professional development, people and the future of work, Dr. Nima Pasha. Now, look, there is so much that I could say about Nima and her areas of interest and expertise, but that would probably take up the entire show with just the introduction. So for now, I'll just say welcome and a huge thank you, Nima, from us all uh, for joining us today. Um, huge thanks also to my co-hosts, Emma Bridger and Belinda Ganaway, our producer, Katie Austin, our live studio audience, and of course, you lovely people, our loyal listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in again. Over to Belinda for a quick recap about the recent show before we get chatting with Nima. So if you're, welcome, if you're new to the research show, welcome. Um, and it's great to have you here. The research show is really the response to what we saw as a moment in time that sort of hit this time last year. It's a moment in time, hopefully between the pandemic and whatever comes next. And we wanted to seize the opportunity to revisit the world of work and look at the opportunity through multiple lenses. So we have a variety of different guests all coming from different backgrounds, different trains of thought to, to ask some powerful questions about what does the world look like and how does we make the world of work better in the future? Cool, thanks B. Um, so welcome Nima. We're absolutely delighted you could join us and um, you're really blown away we were able to, to make time for us. Big thank you, big shout out to, to our friend Perry Timms for the introduction. So thank you, Perry. He's a good friend of ours. Um, but before we get stuck into the questions, is there anything that we haven't mentioned already that we all should, we really need to know about you? Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for such an incredible introduction. I always think, I always think, oh no, I've got to live up to all this. So <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best, but guarantee I won't. Um, but the one thing I, um, I, I guess that I've done in addition since we, um, we, we originally started talking was I've also released another piece of research from Henley. It's quite a major piece of research that we've just done. It's called uh, the equity effect. And we're looking at um, what happens when organizations start embedding equity, diversity, inclusion into their organization and what kind of transformations that creates. So I think that's a really interesting piece of work. I'm, I'm delighted to talk about that as well. Awesome, that sounds amazing. And, you know, absolutely on top of everyone's agenda at the moment, really. So, okay, so today we're gonna focus pretty broadly because obviously you've got so many strings to your bow and you, you know, do some amazing research. We're gonna focus quite broad to start with though on the future of work. And let's start by talking about COVID. I had a really interesting conversation with my husband actually, he was a historian last night and he was kind of talking me through the way throughout history, Great plagues have always kind of been a catalyst for huge societal, political change, etc. And he went through loads of examples that I won't go through today because I'm not a historian. This is your, you know, you are all about exploring, predicting, hypothesizing on the future of work. So what do you think we're going to see happen as a result of this, this pandemic we're going through right now? What are your thoughts on that? 
Um, well, uh, strangely, we do have um, uh, business historians in the business school who've, who've been looking at the kind of analysis of what happened with different kind of plagues through history and what, mm. what happened in terms of changing. And, um, and any kind of major influence on um, historical, you know, that really is quite strong and influences uh, a society quite deeply, such mm. as, for example, the Industrial Revolutions changes society quite dramatically. So um, one of the, if I could just go through a little bit of history is that one of the things that we have when we had the industrial revolution, first of all, when we had like the, the introduction of industrialization, the spinning jenny, mechan mechanization, transport, all these kind of things came in um, and that created cities differently because people start to have to flock to uh, urban, create urban centers in order to work. Um, and then obviously it gets set up. So the, the kind of nature of society and the way we lived changed as that progressed through. Um, and when we came into, um, I think around 1940, when we started, Henry Ford started mass production, we're looking at different style, um, different industrial revolution. Workers got together and said, we can't keep working all the time. The unions came together and said, we need, a, we need a weekend and we need to stop working at a particular time. So that set down through the whole world, a kind of a, a way of working that we go into workplaces, we come away from workplaces, uh, we, we stop at weekends from our workplaces and have this two days off. And, and what if I bring it all the way back up into looking at the influence of COVID, mm -hmm. one of the main influences, apart from the impact on um, health and, and livelihood is the way that many people have had to change their work and I say many and not most because uh, many more people have not had to they're still in hospitals transportation at, um, agriculture manufacturing mm. many people uh, particularly in knowledge industries have shifted to uh, home working um, and that has been a, a major influence, which uh, we're, uh, you, you'll see every day in the newspaper about uh, should we be now adopting this as a kind of new way of working, uh, a hybrid way of working. And uh, I think even this morning, Morgan Stanley was saying, if you can, if you can eat out, you can work in the office. So there's, there's lots of people getting quite angry about the different ways of approaching. So that's one of the things that COVID has done is really kind of made us think differently of where work can be done. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so do, do you think that's going to have a long impact, though? Because as you say, we're already starting to see, you know, the Morgan Stanley's, the Goldman Sachs, et cetera, say, come on, come back, we want you back in the office. What, what do you think are going to be the kind of longer-term effects of the way we've had to work differently during COVID? We can go back to a study that was done in China um, before, um, you know, even coronavirus uh, appeared at all. It was several years ago, um, where a company wanted to look at the effect of um, what would happen in working home, and it gave people the opportunity to either work at home or be in the office, but not as in you choose what you want. We'll pick you around. I think it was done by alphabetical order of names, so it wasn't mm. um, necessarily people had children or caring responsibilities. Anyway, um, they all had this opportunity to do that, and people went off. And did that and, and there was a similar kind of experience that we have now that you know I'm not having the commute to do I, I've you know I've got more time with the family I'm getting involved in my soda bread making or, or whatever it is that we want to do at the moment um, but at the end of that time the the company offered the people the opportunity to either stay working at home or return to the office and about half of the people wanted to return to the office and about half didn't so I think it's exactly the same that we're experiencing now that for many people going back into the office 
uh, in the same way is not something that they want to do because of how you know we've constructed life over this last year and for some people um it's really important to go back to the office because of the social glue that offices give not necessarily the sitting at your desk doing um excel spreadsheets that's mm. not the place to go to work but um being able to work with other people um have a social connection with them because you can see their eyes directly <laughs> which actually mm. has an effect on and the way we connect uh, with yeah. people so um i think there are and so if you're in a um senior leadership position people will probably think well maybe we may need to have people in the office so at least we can start innovating and creating and then people saying well we've been doing that already this year so we're in a complex way of being so i think the questions are just going to still be tested i think for yeah. the next year at least yeah Really interesting. And we, we, we could carry on talking about this for the rest of the call. But I want, I want to move on to another, you know, really interesting kind of um, theme that comes up when we talk about the future of work. And that is artificial intelligence and automation of jobs. And this is something that you are, you know, you, you talk about, you blog about, you, you research on. So give, give us your thoughts on this. How, how is AI and automation going to change the way we work in the future? We're expecting, um, so the many reports out, and we can't predict exactly any of these things. You know, we're, I, I like what you said at the moment, I'm predicting the work, world, <laughs> the future of work, and I think, oh, if only I could. <laughs> I can give you, <laughs> give you what I think, which I'm sure we'll come back to and go, ah, you were entirely wrong there. But um, what I can say is that some of the things we're expecting with the impact of AI and automation coming into workplaces, we will expect difference is in the way that we work. And it's um, some, initially we were, uh, people were talking about, well, AI is going to come in and take over you'll have robots taking over jobs and robots are certainly coming in and taking over certain jobs mm. we're actually seeing a lot more if we can think about it is ai integrated into what we do so it's taking away certain tasks in our jobs and that's the main area that ai will continue so um i'm assuming everybody on the call or listening in will be um have a smartphone the amount of AI technology in the smartphone. We're recording this on Zoom. There's AI technology here, and it'll go out on YouTube. So, you know, you've got search, uh, um, uh, things will go on search. People are recognizing what you look at. Uh, if you like, particularly this kind of um, podcast that's going out, and then it will send you more of this, and we'll probably get into that stream. So, we're already in this whole kind of thread of AI already. So, when we talk about the future work, sometimes we have to think, well, actually, it's already here, mm. it's already integrated. We really need to start asking some questions around what data is taken from us. I know this is talked about quite a lot, but if you if we think about the amount of apps that are in our phone, and it's not just the data that app is taking, it's that it's the the data that app is taking off other apps as well. So the the integration of these apps and knowing that you know what's going on. That's I think that's the key thing that we have to know that the kind of AI that's coming in is is going to sort of enhance that. And I could give you a few kind of key areas that I think is going to um, particularly impact, but I can pause for a second before no, I go. That, no, that, 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 that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's like, there's the kind of the, uh, the, 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 the apocalyptic types, which Mike talked about husband already. He's one of those. He's like, all like, yeah, the doom and gloom. And he's, he's probably in the camp of like, you know, robots are going to take all our jobs and, you know, kind of terminate a future view of the future versus those people like me who are thinking it's going to make life easier and better. And they're going to do all the rubbish stuff for me and leave me all the cool stuff to do. And uh, it's interesting, you know, there's kind of different schools of thoughts. Um, but in terms of what, what, 
this future of work where there is more automation, as you say, we're already seeing that. Um, you know, how many of us go through the self scans, at, you know, at Sainsbury's now, for example, or I don't go to Sainsbury's, I go a little, hands up, I'm a little girl. Um, but in terms of what that means for, I guess, workforce planning, for skills, for learning and development, you know, that's a whole, I mean, again, we could do a whole call on this, but, you know, just some kind of first thoughts from you on that in terms of what that means from a, a people planning point of view and a skills planning point of view. Yeah, well, and that's kind of my main area of work, actually. So it's about mm. it's that look, understanding what changes impact are coming in. AI is one of them. But as I said, as I mentioned, there's, there's impact diversity. Um, and Perry, who you mentioned right at the top, I talked to him. And I think there's um, what we've got now for, for workers, workplaces and, uh, you know, leaders start thinking about um, where we're going is to understand we've got COVID, we've got AI. Uh, and we've got to also social social movements that are, are creating a, a difference in our thinking and also balance out perhaps some of the polarised thinking that we have as well. So those things are coming in. So when we start thinking about planning, well, I think we have to we have to take an integral approach to all those areas. And if I think if I give a specific area that we could perhaps think about a little bit more. I mean, there's there's different different types of AI that's coming in. There's 5G is coming in. Uh, there's something called robot process automation, which is the one that people think about most often when we think about taking jobs because it's one that's taking away routine areas. But if I uh, mention um, augmented and virtual reality, AR and VR. Mm. Um, so one of the things that's coming into the workplace already is looking at instead of this Zoom call that we're on at the moment, which can be which is great. I mean, we wouldn't have done this, been able to mm. keep our work up with through a pandemic if the pandemic had happened, you know, the 10 years ago or something. Mm. We would have, we'd have found another way, but this wouldn't have been the way. Um, but we still feel at the end of a Zoom sesh <laughs> quite tired. We haven't communicated that well, you know, because we can't, you know, we're perhaps not the same as an office. But so if we want to use technology still and, and perhaps thinking actually it's quite good, even if we're not in the office, we know that our offices are global. Actually, this kind of technology might be quite good or for people who can't get in or various things. So AR and VR technology where you put on a, a headset mm. and connect with people might be something probably will be something that we will start adopting. So fa Facebook, for example, has uh, put a lot of investment into something called Oculus. It's mm -hmm. um, at the moment quite gaming, but actually it's got uh, there are an, an adaptation to it for work meetings with different, with, a, with an app you can download, you can meet people and, and it still feels a little bit weird, but mm -hmm. it feels much more connected because you're in a workplace and you're talking a bit more physically and there's a bit more movement around things. So if we think this is starting to going to come in to workplaces, when we start thinking about how we do our team building, how we do our connection, how we start constructing um, the skills that we will need for that, then we have to do some kind of adaptation to think this kind of technology may make us change the way we do things. And I mentioned what we want to do in terms of equity. So one of the things, I'm just bringing a thread from that at the moment, is yeah. that we found that um, when we look specifically at race equity in, in our report, but other, other, other groups came through that as well, is that actually a lot of people from um, minority groups, or people who are often discriminate against, have found um, online working better. Mm. Literally on a level playing field, you know, everyone's mm. like a bunch of tiles in front of you. So it could be that uh, we, we also look at ways of um, connecting and using these ways because it's more open and free and transparent. Free as in open free, not as in mm. free. Uh, 
cost. So it mm. could be that we need to look, we need to adopt technology as well, because we, we have to think how we start confronting inequity uh, mm. and, for example, racism, which we looked at particularly in organisations. Sure. Oh, it's so, so interesting. We, we, we spoke to a, a firm who are specialists in this, this area quite a while ago, con- Contacts of Bees, and, and we had a really interesting discussion with them about how we might start to use these sorts of technologies. And it just blows my mind, to be honest with you. And I, I watch your, see your homemade perfect where they put on the VR and their house completely reimagined. I think the possibilities yeah. are so exciting, aren't they? Um, and we, we did touch on the, whether, whether we'd be able in the future to use something like VR um, to increase empathy. So, in a you know, if if you're thinking about, um, I'm not a gamer, but my kids are gamers. What what's the role role playing games? When you put on a different role, and we're talking about you know, it's a big ethics question here. But you know, is it possible to put take a different role on at work for a VR headset and actually understand how it feels to be not the person that you are you are today? So there's kind of a whole big conversation about that, which is interesting at the very least um but yeah i think it's going to be really interesting to see where, where these tech technologies go um just before i pass it over to to everyone else to ask questions i'm sure everyone's got loads i can see b writing furiously she's got loads mm-hmm. of questions i know something else that you 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 talk about is things like generational differences um and this is like really again really hot topic and i i go back to my 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 background as psychologist and i get a little bit like you know where's the where's the uh, empirical evidence that there is a generation x and z and everything and i was pointed some work by someone called emma perry actually talking from someone i talked to yesterday about her work i think she's cranfield about the, the generational differences um that yes of course of course there are generational differences but it's not as neat as you know if you're born in you know 1979 your facebook if you're born in 1980 your instagram um Love to hear your take on this and how we can use this, this the, the, the science in a way that's helpful rather than hinders us and puts people in boxes where it's, it's not really that helpful. So what, what's your take on the whole generational differences piece? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to talk about that. And I've got a psychology background as well. So I completely agree. You know, we've got this sort of, um, uh, you know, evolutionary psychology part of it that, you know, part of us always, you know, goes back to this our fears that are come from, you know, our kind of early, early, early life uh, as a, as a, a influences as children. So all, um, all those things are part of who we are. Um, so, and that hasn't changed over millennia, you know, in terms of human being genetically, we haven't, you know, that hasn't adapted, but what we know, if we adapt to what we, we know about generational differences is that major influences uh, that happen will influence a group of people who experience them similarly, not entirely, we're all individuals, um, so when we look at the difference between Generation X, Millennials, and now Generation Z, which is one, um, you know, the ones that are coming into the workplace at the moment, uh, boot and, and, the, and the boomer generation, we do see differences in perhaps values and ethics. So we can, we can mm. bring back again, for example, to um, uh, diversity and equity and, and so on, is that we find, and again, we found that in our research as well, um, is that... <laughs> I'm going to say this. I'm laughing because I know what I'm going to say. So we found older white men. Uh, this is awful because we put it in blocks. Of the people we looked at, people who were older who were white, and a larger portion of those, that's not everybody in that group, but a larger portion of those group didn't see uh, uh, problems with diversity um, in organisations will be found with younger groups uh, from uh, different ethnicities, they found that more easy. And that could be what we've seen and experience of this generation is immigration 
um, they're going to school with people from different backgrounds and cultures, seeing different things on TV, seeing different kind of people from all kind of, um, you know, influences in, in the government as well that we see now. So it could be that the experience of younger generation, which is why you get generational differences, mm. approach things differently. And again, when you asked me about AI, being, being, being comfortable uh, with uh, using um, digital technology such as social media, uh, where people have got more used to it in different younger generations is something else that, you know, that's, that's a feature, but it's not quite as neat mm. is that what we find with, with millennials who are more comfortable with using social media and, and quite quick to use. We found with Generation Z, they're more a little bit more concerned about the privacy around and who sees what, and also their digital brand about if they're, rather than just posting anything, it's about how they look, what they do, how, how, they, how they come across on, on digital media as well. So mm. there's different aspects of it. And one of the things, just to give you a stat at the um, thing that we were looking at also, is that when we're looking at organizations perhaps being, and I'm really interested in CEO activism because of the, you know, all the things that are going on. Mm. So what happens if a CEO is more, and we talked to, you know, about brood, the brood dog story and so on. So what happens when an organization actively is more activist, uh, mm. a CEO level? And when we looked, at, and there's a report out um, looking at buying decisions. And what we found is uh, there's an increase in younger generations more likely to buy a product if they see higher levels of CEO activism. Mm. Our, and our own research in Henley, we also found that um, that uh, younger generations, particularly Generation Z, want an organisation uh, that has social impact. Mm. Uh, so about half of us, when we looked at everybody, uh, all generations want an organisation with social impact, about 48%, just under half. And that rises to 66% with Generation Z wanting an organization to have social impact. So we see, so what we, we're not saying is that we're genetically different at different generations, but we see influences around us that can influence a group of people through generational differences. Absolutely. Yeah, the, um, the conversation I had yesterday was, yeah, of course there's gonna be generational differences because we are to some extent, you know, reflecting and a product of what, what, what happens around us and our experiences. But I think what we were talking about was it's, it's much subtler and, and, and more, um, it, it's not as neat as putting people in boxes and it's sort of, you know, a lot of the behavior characteristics that you might get in one generation, you'll get in others, but maybe to a lesser extent. So yeah, really I, interesting. I agree. Mm. Cool. All righty. I'm going to stop hogging the questions now because I can see B furiously scribbling and I just know she'll be desperate to ask some questions. So I'm going to, I'm going to hand the uh, questioning baton over to B. Thank you. I've got two questions um, and, and they're very different, but I'm going to link them both back to the Gen Z sort of train of thought. So my first one is about, we talked about AI and about how it can change the nature of work because of um, you know, some of the more mundane routine tasks can get done by robots or equivalents or whatever, um, which frees up um, people to focus on more human tasks. So that's, the, that's kind of one of the impacts on work across many. But there's also, I think, a big, I'm really interested in the impact of AI to create better experiences in and around work. So I'm thinking about, I guess, the HR use of AI to, to personalize people's experience of work or to simplify people's experience of work. So I'd love to know your thoughts on that, particularly, I guess, around this idea of Gen Z being much more 
aware and concerned about their use of private data, personal data. So what, you know, how are and will HR and, and similar teams use AI to create better experiences at work? And what are the risks in that around people's perception of how their data is being used? So the one, the what, the area that I know uh, most about is recruitment because of working in uh, in, in a university in a business school. So uh, organisations using AI recruitment tools. Um, mm. So initial uh, AI recruitment tools, and they have changed a lot now. It, uh, we know that the data was well. Have they changed a lot? It's like we know they changed a lot. I'm still kind of like I think data, data is is a complex area. So um, for any AI tool to work well, at the moment it needs quite high level. Uh, quite a lot of data. It needs a huge amount of data for it to be trained in order to function well. Um, mm. And how, and just to give you some ideas on some of the ways it works is that one of some of the tools that are used in um, AI in recruitment and not just recruitment, they may even thinking about bringing it onto uh, the experience of Zoom to, is, is something called emotional AI. So um, uh, lots of firms are using that in terms of personality tool testing on whether you're you know, looking at your face and saying that you uh, and, and mapping that M2 big five personality on, um, you know, through your facial facial expressions and so on. So, I mean, the data, the, the data that they've done in order to gather that data, they've had to, you know, thousands and thousands of not millions of data sets have gone to create this. Where they've come from is the critical thing. Have they come from a particular type of particular group? Have they come from just senior managers, for example? And if they ask your senior managers, you've probably got a bit of a type of people that are part of that. So I think um, there is a lot of call about how we go, you know, there's lots of work and research on how we can take smaller data, but at the moment it's still working on high data sets and where that data came come from i think a lot of it is still dubious i think so one um you've um i was on a call recently so one of the things that you if you've got a phone like an iphone that um opens your phone using your face uh so facial recognition software is originally used uh, to for terrorist tracking uh for an organization until apple bought it up so it's you know gathering lots of data randomly looking at people and then looking at tracking the data accordingly i'm i'm pro ai by the way i sound like i'm not i'm very pro AI, and i think it really does glue but i think we're now in this space that we've got to really look at regulation and how we put it in so we put it into the hr space um to look at is this really is this really tracking personality that well do you want to look at um, even if it is is big five personality the tool that you want to use what kind of skills are you looking in your organization are you using the same skill sets that you've used for the last since the organization has started what happens if you start thinking about what you don't have because you've been looking at what's in the room and thinking that's that's the right skill set that we have. What if we started using a different way of recruiting? And one of the, I think, um, I, I did uh, learning coding myself, not, please don't ask me to do anything on those lines. <laughs> I started look, looking at things and I was thinking what we could do is that putting a bit of power back into the employee or the job searcher is to is to produce apps to think how much an organization has used their um you know the app starts looking at organizations looking at ethical ai use looking at their dni work and then it produces like a reverse glass door it's like a glass door but on these kind of things in the sense so i created this little thing not that it's gone anywhere but it's just an idea i thought of actually we need to people will start making decisions on different things and i've just talked about the 
uh, generation generation z about organized uh, people wanting more and more people generation z in particular wanting the um organization to make a positive impact on society mm. however what I feel from that, and it's similar to um, climate change and sustainability, it could have been driven by a particular generation, but it pervades the whole organization. We all now thinking more about uh, sustainability, positive impact. So I think um, AI development is probably going to go into that, into the HR space as well, about positive impact and social impact in organizations. Mm, so interesting. Um, I'll, I'll check in my second question, which was something I heard you talking about this morning. I was listening to a, a, another podcast and you were talking about flexibility and the four day week. But something that I hadn't that was a dot that I hadn't connected when I've thought about this area before was um, the impact on a four day week on um, carbon emissions. Yeah. So really just going back to Gen Z, social impact and also desire for flexibility and the business case around for the four day week may be having an extra element around actually reducing carbon emissions and that becoming attractive to people as well as the flexibility piece. I just thought that was fascinating. It's not, it's not a connection that I'd heard before. It was a great piece of research looking at the four day week because what we found in that piece of work um, and it's been replicated in other um, um, pieces of work as well is that productivity increased uh, for those organizations that adopted four day week. Um, the worries that people have, well, our customers won't be around, so how can you be off? So that they found a way through that, that you know, by perhaps balancing uh, that week out, is that people were felt less stressed because they're off for the three days rather than the two days, and and that uh, that helped them refresh. And there was no, you know, as I say, productivity was still high. But as you say, there were additional things that, apart, mm -hmm. you know, in addition to the well-being, was the structure about you know not not being on that commute for that day. There was, uh, you know, the reduction in carbon emissions, which we also see saw was talked a lot, a lot about through the experience of lockdown as well, that we had the the reduction in carbon emissions. Um, so that is something to look at in terms of sustainability. It's only one aspect because I also read that a lot of lot of plastic. Um, used increased during COVID and obviously the masks and so on um, you know so we've got to you know there's the you know because people package you know the food package was packaged a lot more rather than perhaps we didn't want to because our, our concerns over health had changed through so we've got a, it, it's it, it's a complicated piece that put that we we, we need to put together uh, mm -hmm. on all aspects of sustainability but certainly one of the things around the four-day week uh, mm -hmm. was about um, the you know the reduced commute Mm. Um, you know uh, an impact on sustainability and positive impact on society thank you yeah as I say it's not a connection that was sort of jumped out at me before so I thought that was interesting as you say one part of the puzzle um Justin I'm going to ping over to you because I know that I can see the chat um lighting up and I know that you have a good grasp of what's going on and what questions we need to ask Thank you. Yes, indeed. So um, Debbie has uh, made a comment in the chat, which I'll come to in a moment, actually, uh, if that's all right, uh, Debbie and Nima, because it's quite a big, a big question. Uh, Nima, I so much that I could pick up um, with you, and I'm kind of whittling down my notes. Well, I'll talk about that. No, I won't. I'll talk. Um, I'm interested in uh, this. We were talking earlier about, uh, you were just talking there about um, a, a little bit the phenomenon of shiny keys that we mentioned, you know, the firms getting wowed by tech. And so, we've, so yes, you've got this, you know, facial scanning, mapping onto the big five and in recruitments and everything. Um, what are your thoughts about where AI will actually do a better job than humans 
Um, in terms of uh, weeding out um, biases in our decision-making, and that might be obviously to do with um, race or gender, but it could just be also to do with this myriad of psychological biases that we, we carry around all the time. Um, I want to just a quick anecdote. I was listening to a, a podcast of the day about someone who is an expert in financial markets, and he was quoting a really interesting piece of research which looked at investors in a particular domain, and they found over a period of a number of years that the most effective investors were those who were either dead or had forgotten they had an investment account. So all of the people who were so-called experts had performed worse than the people who had basically done absolutely nothing. And I was thinking, so that's a lovely example of actually uh, where humans get in the way. And he was making the point that that's because we have these cognitive biases, which influence our decision-making and our attitude to risk. Um, so they were getting in the way of our ability. And I'm wondering, to link back to my original question, where you think AI can be used to actually replace some of those processes that our biases do get in the way? That's a, a fascinating uh, question, uh, Justin. And, and you'll know that Daniel Kahneman's just book uh, is out now, is uh, looking at noise as how that comes into you know background noise on, on investment decisions and so on, and you know coming in and and interfering with that on medical decisions, legal decisions, and, and so on. So they're quite serious um, aspects around where AI could make more um, clearer decisions. And um, the thing I wrote last summer is that um, when when AI was used for cancer scanning, it performed higher than um, radiologists, for example, because it was using... Um, so what AI is very good at is pattern recognition. I don't... We, uh, to call it intelligence is probably... Um, a difficult one, but again, it needs masses of stuff, uh, data fed into it for it. So it recognizes the difference between a cancer cell and a croissant or something, you know, that, um, that so it really works on that. So once that's right, it can work much better. What it didn't do is work better than two doctors put together because there's something around the intelligence of humans that understand nuance and where things don't, um, you know, where you've got additional things. So it works really well. As you can imagine, it's a machine, so it work really well on the routine things that are critical. It also needs the right data. I know I'm talking about data, but the right data will need to be fed in right at the start. So if we again go back to recruitment, if you're setting up your um, recruitment system, you're going to use AI for um, uh, your document scanning uh, using computer vision or something uh, and it writes the you know gets the stuff in it reads the application it sends the email off it organizes the uh, callback for interview it sends you know everybody gets a letter because you know you're at your department isn't held back where which is you know so your candidates are on are kept better but if you've set up your skilling again <laughs> if you look at um your cvs and it's scanned through and you're looking at um must you know similar you're looking for words like leadership and you're looking for words like uh, you know things things like that so you're thinking well these are the critical things that you are but maybe if you've read the application you probably see was that um scanning hadn't worked quite the same and even words like leadership or leader or boss or something hadn't been picked up if you've asked it to look for different nuances um, if you were to read more detail and think actually this person, um, and I go back to graduate recruitment, 
an area that we're, I'm most familiar with, is that if you look at somebody who hadn't been uh, president of the rugby club and shown leadership, but what they've been doing is working in their family business, running their entire store, but be because it hadn't come in through a leadership -y kind of thing and it's family business and whatever, that it hadn't been picked up, then you may be missing out on good talent again. So it's using the AI with the human um, inference to get the data right at the beginning. Uh, it can produce better by because it's it's a machine, so it's not going to be biased as it were. It's using machine learning, so you will get candidates um, if you start to thinking differently uh, from race. Um, social mobility is really important, and you know these you know it's what we're looking at in universities. So we can get the AI to work more positively in that way. That will be good. However, the other side of it is that they'll all join the organisation. Uh, and you may have a diverse intake, say from a, a graduate recruitment intake, uh, that are different. Is your organisation then set up in how your the, how people and teams and organisations are supporting them all the way through? And then we can start looking at leadership. And you know, if that you may have a diverse intake, but what happens to those people? Do they feel they can be themselves in the workplace? So AI won't help with that bit. It's yeah. It's Mm. Well, this falls into the category of we could do a whole show on this, couldn't we? <laughs> the, the fallibility of human decision making, I suppose, and where AI, given given the right, uh, as you say, the right data, where AI could could help with that, I suppose. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, I want to jump back to two things. Um, so, first of all. Uh, to give you the opportunity to talk about your latest project, because I know that's the thing you're most excited about. Um, so maybe you can do two things at once, uh, Nima, because I know you're good like that. Um, maybe you could dip back into Debbie's question, which is partly is building on a question you had earlier, and then feed into your latest research. Um, you might be able to find a, a, a jazzy, a snazzy link. And if not, just do a clunky one. That's fine. Um, so the question from Debbie is coming back to this question about how is, um, what are your best guesses at how the coronavirus pandemic may have influenced work? So when we look ahead in 20 years, so one of the things we, we will see is there was this exploration of, as you said, where work can happen. So that's an evolving situation. Um, Anything else on your radar that you can anticipate being a feature of work, you know, in the in the future that may have had its roots in the current pandemic situation? Yeah, I, I think so. I didn't think I'd say yes to that when you because I thought, oh, have I? But then I think I possibly have is that I've done some work, uh, re, uh, not this project, but this this kind of links into it is about what kind of what do we need to have um, uh, in terms of skills and what uh, how we need to start approaching where we want to go as an organization. And I and I think uh, I've, I've called it meta-skilling, a little model that I produced, but it's really looking at the digital and AI skills, but not just thinking, oh, we need to have digital and AI skills, but it's just as I've been talking to you, Justin's thinking about the critical thinking around how you'd apply AI. Um, and you talked about the infallibility of, uh, of human thinking. And I think, brilliant, I'm so glad we've got infallibility um, and how we start embracing um, those differences, one, you know, and how, you know, I think it's good. It's good. It's, you know, this, it's those things that embrace us being human. In fact, my next stage is about those human qualities, about empathy, 
um, compassion, all the things that we hear about being quite uh, important. Um, and my research really strong on um, particular areas around uh, looking at what we need for future work. It was, it's about um, not just the empathy and people skills, but it's also analytical skills. It's developing those kind of critical thinking and uh, being able to analyze well and also sort of plan and, and, and work towards it. So anyway, I've got a bunch of skills on that. And my final piece, and we've touched all this on this already um, about positive impact is, is moving into this sort of activism space because this last year through coronavirus uh, impact of working at home, uh, balancing different things, watching the TV and looking at the inequalities that we're seeing in society and, and how some people, you know, haven't had this, uh, hadn't had the opportunity to work from home, still had to look after kids, still had to go out places, you know, it's been quite different. So, um, and, and then we're also looking at climate impact on, on climate as well coming in as well. So there's this whole section where organisations and CEOs are, start, are perhaps thinking of not just we're here to deliver our work to our workers there's a lot of talk about stakeholder capitalism but really thinking about what is an organization's role in addition to delivering their product services and and you know in, in making sure their staff are okay but what is their um responsibility to society as well and then you'd look at sustainability then you'd look at their contribution to diversity and um and, and a whole set of things inequality and we and and really seeing organizations doing that a lot more or at least as we had a conversation earlier, organisations feeling that they need to say they're doing that because they know that's what people are doing. But how we translate into saying and then doing, I think is probably one of the critical things that we see uh, in 2022 particularly. That uh, is, a, is a lovely hopeful um, note, I think, to, to, to wrap that up on. Uh, yeah, and... Um, so broadly speaking, we've, we, and we've touched on this on the show before, this, this emergence of, I suppose, corporate responsibility, I suppose, and how it's hopefully moving from being a box ticking exercise into actually becoming part of the DNA of, of what businesses do. We've got a long way to go. Um, and, and there are, of course, a certain number of businesses which are al already making that part and parcel of, of what, what their offer is. So yes, we do this, but actually we do this in order to be able to do this along, alongside that. Um, so thank you. We're almost at time, but I, I, ooh, I can tell Belinda and Emma, what, what would you like to um, wrap up with before I uh, tie up the show? Before I answer that question, I'll just, there's one piece of stat I need to get out, which I'm meant to get out right at the beginning and all the way through. It's essentially the report I've just done, the equity effect, uh, the research, and, and what we found, and this is really important for us, and it links to exactly what you said about how we move forward, we found that businesses that actively confront inequity and racism with practical measures record an average revenue increase of 58% to those that didn't. It's a huge difference. But it's not an unusual report when we look at other kind of literature in this area. And it makes sense if you start people uh, feeling a sense of belonging, bring themselves to work, all the stuff that we will talk about, it, it, it really impacts the bottom line. What I wanted to say from this is that um, what we need to do is to have much more of a business argument. I know this is people saying it's not the right thing to do, it demeans it. But my position is going to be have a business argument on it because that's how we can start making results happen. Yeah, and that's absolutely, that's kind of been the evolution of diversity, hasn't it? The diversity argument has gone from being a moral or an ethical one to, to a business um, argument as well. And lo and behold, businesses are perhaps starting to pay attention um, because, mm. well, 
that's what they're there to do. Um, thank you, Neymar. And I hope you managed to uh, talk to us enough about the latest project um, on, on today's show. Emma, you unmuted. Yeah, just want to say massive thank you. It was just amazing. And um, yeah, that, that last point, I'm so with you. I mean, what I do in my, my day job is to help people thrive and be their best selves at work. But if I go into corporates and sense and they look at me like I'm mad so i have to go with the business case and say but if you do this, this this is the stuff i can help you to get like increased profitability etc cetera, etc cetera. so i'm completely with you by any means necessary any trojan horse we can use to, to make these changes let's let's use them if we want to know more about this latest piece of research where can we find out more about it it's on the henley business school website uh, and if you just have a look on there it's uh, you'll find that it's called the Equ and if you just google the equity effect henley business school you'll find it Awesome. And I know that Katie will, of course, um, provide a link to that. She's nodding in the follow-up materials as well, Emma. So that's so that saves anyone even having to uh, Google. Uh, Belinda, would you like to say anything before we bid our guest farewell? I'm resisting the temptation to sneak in another question because I know we're out of time. Just to say that the equity effect report is is absolutely fascinating, and it's got some killer quotes that are really well it's got killer content but some real points in there that really make you stop and think so I think there's lots in there from a business perspective an organizational perspective but also from a sort of an individual what we all need to think about yeah. and how we all need to sort of make this something that we explore so thank you for sharing that as I said we will I'll make we will make sure that that link goes into to the follow-up but yeah so thank you again I think my last point would be can you come back again please because it's so good <laughs> thank you so much you've been amazing thank you Nima thank you again from us all and thank you to our studio audience um if you are interested we will be back again in two weeks time on Wednesday, the 30th of June if you're interested in joining the live recording we have Dr. Dai Hook and we will be talking on neurodivergent teams and neurodiversity in the workplace. It's easy for me to say. So um, thank you one and all. As always, a quick plug, like and subscribe and share. That helps, to Nima's point earlier, that helps drop our um, offering into the path of those who may be interested. Um, thank you, everyone, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Enjoy the sunshine, if indeed it is still shining by the time you watch or listen to this. Thanks for now.